The IPCC report was a code red for humanity. Rapid and significant work is needed to reduce emissions. And while eating less meat and driving less will help, it might not be enough to get us all there. And while we still have the power to avoid a climate disaster, power might be one of the best ways to avoid one. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver, and this is Why. The report from the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change was pretty stark. The report from the International Panel on Climate Change involves the work of 234 scientists and more than 14,000 studies. They all come to one unequivocal conclusion. Humans are fueling climate change. The report also shows the world has warmed by about 1.1 degrees Celsius since the late 19th century, and it's likely to surpass the 1.5 degree mark in the next two decades. The world is already feeling the impact. From this summer's deadly heat wave in British Columbia to wildfires, droughts and devastating floods worldwide. Those kinds of events are projected to be even more severe as the planet warms. Of the 51 billion tons of emissions put out worldwide every year, about 27% come from the generation of electricity. And as electrification of things like transportation increase, so too will the demand for more power. So we thought we'd find someone who could speak to how Canada fares in emissions from electricity generation. My name is Blake Schaefer. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Economics and the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary. Currently worldwide, about 40% of power comes from coal, about a quarter from oil and natural gas, and only about 7% for solar and wind. Meanwhile, in Canada, I was looking at the National, National Natural Resources Canada website, Can, for Canada, it's about 7% coal, 11% oil and gas, 7% non-hydro renewables, and 60% hydro. I'm just wondering if you've been able to, to watch this transition over time and... and, and if you, if you can uh, let us know where Canada is in terms of moving towards a low or net zero emission of electricity production. So the first thing I'd say is Canada does have a really good starting point when it comes to electricity. So when you look around the world, Canada is in the top 10, if not the top five, in terms of the emission intensity of our electricity system. So that means how much is how many uh, tons of CO2 are emitted per unit of electricity produced. In, in layman's terms, we have clean electricity here, largely because of hydro. We've got some um, provinces that are nearly 100%, if not 100% hydro. Ontario is heavily nuclear, to zero emitting, and we have this growth of wind and solar. So we, we're down to, you know, less, certainly less than 20% uh, emitting electricity. So a great starting point for Canada but it really differs across, across the provinces. Um, so here in Alberta, it's a much different story than the national average. We're more similar to Saskatchewan in that over 80% of our electricity is generated still from natural gas or coal. Now, there's been a big shift from coal to natural gas over the past five years. So it is improving, but we still have a ways to go. And, you know, as you pointed out, the, with the link to IPCC and decarbonization, getting to net zero... Electricity is really important for two reasons. You know, one, we want to eliminate the emissions from electricity, so the direct emissions. But two, we're talking about electrifying a lot of things that otherwise use fossil fuels right now. Vehicles is a great example, right? Mm -hmm. And so to the extent we can make our electricity system cleaner, 
it really amplifies the benefits of then electrifying all of these other things like transportation, heating, industrial processes. So we've got a head start in Canada in that we are heavily clean in, in most parts of the country. Very, we're now starting to move into that realm of starting to electrify these other elements of our economy that weren't so much heavily dependent on electricity previously. Yeah, and it's certainly important to recognize that there are regional differences in terms of who uses fossil fuels to create electricity and who is largely reliant on renewables for, like you said, Manitoba, Newfoundland, Quebec, all north of 90% of their electricity coming from hydro. And for Alberta, 46% of the electricity and 39% in Saskatchewan comes from natural gas and coal. Half of Nova Scotia's electricity comes from coal and 43% of Saskatchewan's electricity comes from coal. If you assume all of the electricity companies from across the country, Crown Corps, privately held and publicly traded, are all working towards net zero emissions, what are some of the barriers facing those companies? Mm, Great question. I like to think of it as two challenges we're trying to meet. So one is just an energy challenge. You know, we're expecting this growth in demand for electricity as people buy more electric vehicles and electrify other things. So we'll need more energy. That's actually less of a challenge now. If you had asked me 10 to 15 years ago, I would have said energy is expensive. You know, the heady days of $100 oil and $10 natural gas, energy broadly and electricity in turn was expensive. So that was a challenge. Five years ago, I would have said, well, a lot of energy is actually cheap now. We've discovered all of these new ways to get oil and gas, um, but clean energy remains expensive. Now that's really changed. It's really been in the last five years. So I, I, you know, I often remind people when I'm talking about where are renewables, and namely wind and solar today, it's a different conversation than it was even five years ago. They are cheap. You know, they are the cheapest source of electricity, but they're just raw energy. So meaning you don't get them when you want them, you get them when the sun or the wind give them to you. And so the real challenge now, the second challenge is what we call Sometimes we say capacity, or really think of it as just on-demand energy, getting it when you want it. And so that is the real challenge with these cheap renewables is is, um, that's great, cheap energy, uh, but it's not coming exactly when we want it. So bridging that gap, finding ways to exploit this cheap energy, but also give us what we want, which is on-demand energy, that is the real challenge going on now for you know, people, researchers like me or my former self-traders and, and uh, grid operators. Uh, that's what they're trying to resolve. And, and there's many different solutions for that. You know, you can think of the, the obvious solution being storage. So if we get our excess wind and solar, we store it until we need it. And that's one solution. Uh, and that's coming down in cost. That has challenges for long duration. It's really good for a couple hours, but long duration is a challenge there. So one of the big things in, in Canada is looking at broader and bigger uh, transmission connections take advantage of that heterogeneity that do those differences in our provincial makeup so you know bc to our left and uh, manitoba two provinces to our right very clean electricity systems uh, based on hydro flexible hydro where saskatchewan and alberta we're trying to decarbonize and we actually have excellent wind and solar resources really some of the best in the country and so we can develop more renewables here and, and uh, connect with our neighboring provinces to exchange that power back and forth. And so transmission is another. And the third one is something we don't often like to think about because we haven't had to, is being a bit more flexible around when we use our 
power when we use our electricity. I don't think people like that, to hear that. They always want to flick a switch on and get it when they get it. That's totally understandable. But for some uses, we really don't care, you know? And so uh, electric vehicle charging at home is a great example. I don't really care when I charge my EV, just so long as it's charged up and ready to go by, say, 7 a.m. And so that flexibility to charge when, the, when you know, there's an abundance of electricity rather than 5 p.m. when I get home from work, say, that's going to be very valuable going forward. And so I think we're going to see a lot of efforts to try to encourage some flexibility from demand in a way that is appealing to consumers. There's a couple of really interesting points I'd like to, to build off of there. One is 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 the mix of energy. Uh, I mean, I know one of the, the more... Um, uh, is the, the more stalwart advice in terms of investing is to have a diversified portfolio. So when one is doing well and another isn't doing so well, everything evens out. And I think you were talking about that earlier as well um, in terms of having uh, a stable uh, energy, like uh, amount of energy that's on, that, that is on demand all the time. The sun only sh- shines in Canada, I don't know, 12, 14 hours a day. What do you do at night? The wind only blows a few, uh, you know, a certain amount of time. What do you do when the wind is down? And so it, I wonder if you could speak to, to, to the importance of moving away from a single source of generation and to more of a diversified source. And where in your mind does nuclear fit into there? Because, I mean, as we said, Ontario relies mm-hmm. a lot on, on nuclear energy, but that's one of the only provinces that does. Yeah, some great questions there. So you are correct in that the old world was more of very large uh, thermal, as in uh, natural gas or coal, power plants, where that concept of energy and capacity were all bundled in one, meaning you could get the energy, but you could also get it on the de- on demand when, when you wanted it, big central, central uh, point source of generation. When renewables were expensive, moving away from that meant you had to really value the emissions reductions. You know, these were really expensive sources of energy and they were intermittent. So you had sort of paying up for something that is actually lower quality. Nowadays, now that renewables are cheap, we're willing to say, well, I'll take some of this hassle because it's so cheap and it's clean. What's it going to cost me to combine this intermittent energy with something else, some other resource to turn it into a firm source of power? So we're really kind of think of it as debundling what we had before into now a raw energy product and something that is akin to firm capacity. Now, that firm capacity can be kind of, I like to categorize as four things. Uh, It could be other peaker plants. So it could be a supply-type solution where we have um, peaker power plants. So when I say the word peaker plant, I mean some power plant that can run occasionally. Um, It could be a natural gas plant, so it's emitting. But if we're running it sparingly, that's something we're willing to accept because the overall emissions will be low. It could be something using a biofuel or even hydrogen and its turbines and getting those clean sources of power. So that's something that's readily um, available and starting to, we're starting to see investments in that space. And even here in Alberta, some of the um, retrofits of old coal plants have put in turbines that can run on blends of natural gas and hydrogen. And so, so that's one solution, supply side, think of it more like a backup type solution. Uh, the other solution is the flexible demand, like I said. So that's a new way of looking at the world where If the old world was forecasting demand and dispatching supply, the new world is forecasting supply and dispatching demand. 
And again, that won't be for everyone and it won't be for all of our service, but there's going to be parts of our demand where that works really, really well. Um, EV charging uh, is a prime example. That's flexible demand. And then the other two solutions, one is storage. So that's a natural solution to take something intermittent and turn it firm. So it could be batteries. Uh, it could be pumped hydro storage where you use the excess uh, wind and solar power to pump water up a hill and then you release it uh, when you need it through a hydro turbine. So that's something being actively discussed on the Brazo River in central, sorry, Midwest Alberta, I guess. Um, and then the last solution, like I said, is transmission. So that's the ability to move power longer distances and really share the sort of complementarities that we have with our hydro province neighbors like BC and Manitoba. So, mm -hmm. so um, some better connections is a way to, like you pointed out, take advantage of a diversified portfolio. Blake, it, it seems to me that connecting different provincial grids is one way government could help with decarbonization and stabilization of energy across the country. What else can various levels of governments do, realizing that some provinces like BC have crown corps and others do not? I should, I should start by saying, you know, I personally think the transmission solution is an excellent one in a world where we want to decarbonize Alberta and Saskatchewan. If we don't want to de decarbonize it, there's value, but it may not be worth it. But if we're trying to decarbonize, it is something really, we really need to take seriously because absent that, it means that Alberta and Saskatchewan have to go to some pretty costly resources. And remind me, maybe we'll double back to nuclear on that front because that is one of the possibilities. But um, we have to go to some pretty, you know, higher priced domestic solutions if we don't uh, share with our neighbors. And there'll be limits to how much wind and solar we can really produce because the intermittency will become too big of a challenge at a certain point. We're nowhere close to that yet. But, um, and so connecting is, is valuable, but this is definitely something where there's government involvement needed for several reasons. One. Linear infrastructure in Canada, as we well know, is, is, is a challenge to build with, with all of its uh, you know, typical challenges associated with that. We're talking about two very different electricity systems, but also market or regulatory structures. So in British Columbia, it's a vertically integrated, uh, government-owned monopoly. There is no market there. And in Alberta, we have a what we call a deregulated or competitive generation space where it's all these private companies competing with no guarantee of a return. Um, they're just taking a market price. And so there's a real imbalance there that, that it creates a challenge in terms of access to each other's quote unquote markets. And so that's something where if there was an expansion of the intertie would need to be dealt with. But there's different competing interests, right? Um, you have winners and losers all over the place. So in BC, it would be a benefit to BC Hydro. They wouldn't be sending us a lot of energy. They'd just be sending us energy in peak periods when our wind and solar isn't blowing. So it's really valuable to us, but it's still cheaper than our alternatives. Uh, on the Alberta side, it's a benefit to consumers. So we don't have to go and pay more, uh, you know, go to more expensive sources to decarbonize. So it's a benefit to consumers. It would be a benefit to wind and solar developers because we could build more here. There'd be an outlet for their excess. Who loses? Well, probably Alberta natural gas producers or sort of whoever would be providing that peaking power. And that's probably a pretty powerful when you think about sort of, you know, lobbying efforts that occur and who's got political capital. 
consumers tend not to, sadly, <laughs> have a lot of political capital because we're, you know, a disparate group. There's millions of us. And we don't have a real leader championing that those efforts for us. So, whereas when you have small focal um, industry groups, they tend to have a louder voice. And I think it's probably fair to say that the natural gas industry group has a louder voice or a more receptive voice to the government than maybe wind and solar developers in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, when you think about, even though it's good overall, you have to think about the distribution of winners and losers and the real sort of loser in the transition transmission story is likely to be a natural gas peaker plant. And, and that just so happens to be the one that probably has the the loudest voice or the the most ear of those who would make this happen. You mentioned earlier that individual consumers and citizens don't have that much power or influence on the policy level. So what can everyday Canadians do to help with the decarbonization of electricity, if anything? Very good question. Um, One I've actually had uh, from from friends ask that. So, you know, on the grid scale level, well, no, there there isn't really that much you can do. Uh, I guess vote is one thing. I mean, a lot of where we're headed on the decarbonization front really has a lot to do with who's in power. So I've heard that before from folks when they're asking, what what can a citizen of Canada really do in terms of decarbonizing? And probably the single biggest action you can do is vote for a party that's going to that's going to make some serious effort on that. So that that's one thing, but I'll stick to electricity and not politics. Um, you can put on solar panels on your roof. Um, and so that is something we're seeing increasingly here in Alberta. It's, it's really, uh, it's really going gangbusters at the moment. There's some small federal dollars you can get. Um, I say small, but I think it's about five thousand um, dollars. And it's 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 borderline in terms of the economics. It's it's reasonable, I would say now. Um, and it also provides you protection against higher prices going forward. So I know a lot of folks who are adding solar panels. I've, I've got them on my roof. Um, I do it kind of because I'm in this space, so I want to learn about how this works. But um, that's one thing you can certainly do. You can sign up here in Alberta where you have retail choice. You can sign up for um, specific generation. What it means is you're not clearly getting generation from uh, a solar panel somewhere on the grid coming directly to your home, but they're buying a certain amount. So some people do that. Um, And I guess, you know, as the grid cleans, if you really want to work on decarbonization, um, you know, switching to electric vehicle, even driving less, all of these things are going to help. There's active things citizens can do. This is Why is produced by me, Adam Toy, and Dave McIver. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email at thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.